Julie Ryan, noted psychic and medical intuitive, is ready to answer your personal questions, even those you never knew you could ask. For more than 25 years, as she developed and refined her intuitive skills, Julie used her knowledge as a successful inventor and businesswoman to help others. Now, she wants to help you to grow, heal, and get the answers you've been longing to hear. Do you have a question for someone who's transitioned? Do you have a medical issue? What about your pet's health or behavior? Perhaps you have a loved one who's close to death and you'd like to know what's happening. Are you on the path to fulfill your life's purpose? No matter where you are in the world, take a journey to the other side and ask Julie Ryan. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Ask Julie Ryan Show. I'm Julie, your host, and I'm so delighted you could join us today. My intention in doing this show is to provide information, insight, and comfort people all over the world by helping to answer life's unanswerable questions. And I have such a treat for you today. I got Betty Edie with us. Hi, Miss Betty. Hello. It's wonderful to be here with you, Julie. Thank you. Thank for you. Oh, my gosh. My honor. I've been a fan for a long time. And I know everybody that that listens or watches this this episode will be as well. And so I've been eager to have you on and and have a discussion with you about your life experiences that I know can uh, teach us all. Everybody, let me tell you about Miss Betty. Betty Edie is a renowned author, spiritual teacher, and international speaker whose work has touched and continues to touch the lives of millions around the world. After having a near-death experience at the age of 31, Betty was inspired to write her book, Embraced by the Light, which quickly became number one on the New York Times bestselling list for a record-breaking 78 weeks. Betty, holy mackerel, girl. And her book's been translated into 38 languages and is sold in over 130 countries. That too, what a feat. Congratulations on that. But it was no surprise to me, actually. Um, I knew that uh, the power of Embraced by the Light and it was it was exciting. It was exciting to see it unfold. Uh, it actually was, but it was God blessed, God designed and sent back to earth to help people overcome their fear of him. Exactly. Well, your experience in the afterlife contradicts what we've been taught in the Bible and in most Judeo-Christian religions. Tell us about what happened and what formed your insights on that whole topic. (laughs) Well, I was rather dismayed at the whole idea that there was a God and that as a Native American and um, hard Irish, uh, I was told many times that they were the worst of the kind. And the reason for that, they explained, was that we were not only, as an Indian, I was a heathen, and as Irish, I was a sinner, right? And so (laughs) I was only four years old when I was first told that, and I began to believe them. Uh, not because I understood what a heathen and a sinner was, but I could tell by the look on their face when they when they called me that, that it wasn't something good. As I grew up um, in boarding schools, uh, hearing it over and over again, I began to believe them. Um, I had low self-esteem, low self-worth, all the low things that you can possibly even imagine. Uh, 
a, a bad temper, uh, anger, um, just everything to overcome. And um, I didn't, I, I wanted to believe in God, to be honest. I really wanted a higher power, some someone that, um, you know, that loved me and maybe even unconditionally, like some of the churches would say. But I, could, I didn't feel that from anyone, so I wasn't sure what that was. Um, but I also kind of disliked him because it just it, it angered me that a God that could create the world, can create the people, and you go to church and then they say we're lower than the ants. And, you know, why would he want to create people lower than the ants? I mean, I just couldn't get it. I mean, if I were a creator... I would want my creation to be magnificent. Uh, so none of that was making any sense to me. And then all of the things, everything that I did or thought of or wanted to do was a sin. And that didn't make any sense to me either. Uh, we couldn't watch back then. It was just black television when we finally got it. I think it was in the 50s. But we couldn't watch tv we couldn't listen to radio because all the songs there were sinful songs and everything that was good was a sin it didn't make sense that god would create a world fill it with people that would just create things that are nothing but sinful things um so i was a little bit of a rebellion and yet on the other hand it was like Two sides of me. One side wanted to believe in God. The other side just rebelled against it. Uh, at a boarding school, uh, the school set in a valley and it had mountains on the side. And I remember on the day that I could go hiking, I loved the outdoors. And so I went hiking up into the mountain, looking down and uh, the children were not being treated well. And I remember building an altar and kneeling down at the altar and praying in the way that I could pray because I didn't know how to pray. And uh, it didn't make sense many times that when people in the churches prayed, they seemed pious is the word I know now. I don't know what I called it back then. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't good whatever it was, because Native children, um, although there's no nat uh, swear words in the Native language, we certainly did learn a few that were in the white world, you might call it. All right, so I, but I remember kneeling there and praying and praying that the teachers um, would treat the children in a, in a greater way than they were being treated. Uh, and I think back on that, and I thought, you know, there must have been some stronger belief within me because it wasn't anything that I had developed um, during my raising, you know, from my family or, um, I mean, it just wasn't sinking in. I married when I was 15 years old, very young. I did that because I wanted to get away from the schools. I wanted to get away from my home. Um, and I swore that to myself that I would raise my kids in a totally different way if I were to have some. Well, I did have some. I ended up with actually eight children, seven of my own 
flesh one that I ended up adopting. But um, but before, uh, you know, I had seven at the time that I experienced my death. And because I had had so many children and, and, and one right after the other, um, I had problems with my, with my female organs and had to go in for a hysterectomy. And it was during that time that um, I died. Uh, I was fearful going into the hospital because I knew that if I knew, see how inside of me, I knew I was going to go to hell. They say you take with, with you into death what you believe. I believed I was going to go to hell, just straight to hell. Indian, Irish, that did it right there. The rest, all the other stuff is just add-ons. So just yeah. because that, that was what you'd been taught when you were little, that just because you were Indian and Irish that you were going to go to hell? Right. And if I did anything outside of that, such as listen to radios, which I did do when I found one or was near one. Um, in the summer months, we could go back to our parents for a couple of months. I, uh, you know, I mean, I enjoyed uh, getting away from all the religious stuff, to be honest. And... Um, and the strict rules that we had to live by. Um, so, I mean, I was fascinated with the world and wanted to be a part of it. But after I had my children and uh, uh, I, I wanted to teach them right somehow. And um, I had great love for them and they were everything to me. They were my world because I didn't, as a child, ever really have what you consider could consider uh, consider a world of your own, like a home and and a love and, and all of that. I had family members, but I couldn't be with them because, again, back then, and this was years and years and years ago, my father was the Irish and my mother was the Indian, and they were not allowed to be together back then. Whenever my father would come to visit my mother, the police would actually pick him up and throw him in jail. They were that prejudiced. It was pretty, it's, it's just unbelievable now as I look back. It's like, surely you didn't dream that up. But on the streets, um, in front of buildings, the courthouse, I remember, there were signs, no Indians or dogs allowed. That is how prejudice, uh, that's the world I grew up in. Well, and most people are unaware of that, don't you? Agree, Betty. You know, we hear about the white-black situation, but we don't hear about the Indian discrimination, Native American discrimination. Yeah. Yeah. They keep that quiet um, because our government owes these people a lot of money. They really do. They do have some money set aside, but they aren't giving it out. Mm -hmm. Uh, One day they'll have to, one day they're going to have to make this right. But uh, right now, they they keep everything quiet. I mean, even the history books are full of nonsense about the Native people. Um, so, but that was part of the attitude that I had then and the injustice that was done. And um, so I was afraid when I went into the hospital, very afraid. And uh, I kept telling my husband that I just felt like something wrong was going to happen and I did feel that 
something wasn't right. My you mother, felt that going into the hospital because your doctors knew that you were Native American and you thought you wouldn't get the same kind of care oh, as somebody who was a white person? Yeah, as, as a Native American, believe me, you did not get proper care uh, at all. Uh, there was so much prejudice, but it was deeper than that. And I think it was my own fear of going to hell. Um, and I didn't think I was going to die and go straight to hell. I My belief system at that time was what I received from the various churches. And that is that when we die, we're buried in the ground. And uh, the song, I don't know if you ever heard it, John Brown's body lies a molding in the ground. All right. Well, that kept playing in my head. So I'm thinking that when I die, I'm going to be in the ground, buried there, rotting until the resurrection day when Jesus will take those that he loves and the rest of us will go to hell. Um, I used to go out to the graveyards and I would stand over a grave and I I'd visualize. I mean, I was obsessed with that idea of death, dying, hell, and uh, the injustice. I, re I really, truly was. In the hospital, after, during surgery and after surgery, I hemorrhaged. And um, I woke up laying in the bed, and I felt the oddest feeling. I really do believe that everyone dying is going to feel that they are dying because I had this, this impending doom for one thing, but also I felt my body dying. And... Um, it frightened me. I tried to ring for the nurse, but I was so weak, I couldn't reach for the little buzzer that they had put by the side of my bed. And the next thing I knew, I was out of my body. And no one was in the room with me. The hospital was understaffed. And besides that, I probably because I'm Indian, they weren't checking on me. Um, I haven't really said that to any in any other interview that I can think of. You brought it to mind when we're talking about the Indian part of me. But back then, that was just commonplace. Um, people often said, well, where were the doctors? Where were the nurses? Well, that's what I'd like to know. Uh, I was alone. And um, my spirit, there was a pop, a sound uh, of like a pop. And I don't know why the pop, maybe it was just my ears going or something. Um, but my body just came up, my spirit came up out of my body. And, uh, and I turned around and I looked down and I could see my body laying there. I was stunned. I was shocked. I was surprised. There's no other word that I can even think to, to say that that was not what I expected. It was not something in my imagination in fact when you're out of your body the amazing thing about it is you're so much your mind is so clear and it is it's it's amazing it's a it's a, a the way you would want to live on earth is with that clarity it is just absolutely awesome. Everything takes on a different look around when you're looking around, you see things differently. Uh, it was wonderful. Um, three 
men in in uh, brown robes appeared on the side of the bed, and they explained to me that I had died prematurely. They said that they had always been with me, that they were my um, ministering angels, guardian and ministering angels. And I remember looking at them, and they said that I they they said you have known us for eternities. Well, I never heard the word eternities before. I knew what eternity meant, <clears throat> but I thought, okay, what is eternity? So I'm trying to grasp all this. And then I wanted to go home and see my husband because I thought, oh, they don't, my husband's got all my kids. He doesn't know where what's happening. I wanted to see them for one last time. And the, the monk said that I could if I wanted to. And so I said, I want to. And then what amazed me, too, is that I instead of going, getting up, going out the door, which was just right there, I went to the window because, and then as I'm traveling home, I'm thinking, I, I've always been able to go wherever I wanted to go in just an instant, and now I'm remembering how to do it. And I still don't know how it's done. I didn't know how it was done. I just knew that if I wanted that, it was there for me. I went home and my husband was sitting there in the chair reading the newspaper, kids running all over the place. I looked at the clock. The clock said it was quarter to, uh, let's say 9.30, quarter to 10. And I was annoyed. And I went to my husband and stood there and he kind of moved around a bit. I think he actually felt my presence there because uh, he seemed disturbed. And, um, and I, 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 you know, I chastised him. I, you know, I don't think he heard it, but <laughs> I said, oh, my goodness, you know, here's the kids running all around. You said you were going to take care of them. You're not doing it. And I was just a little bit irritated. But looking at my kids, um, I didn't have the yearning that I have often thought before I had the experience that I would have in leaving my kids. Um, I just, I just, you know, I, I, there was a, a feeling of detachment. I was concerned about how their life would be without me. And, um, <clears throat> and then all of a sudden I knew just looking at each one, I knew that their life would be fine without me. I could almost look into their future and see that they're going to be good. So I'm all right. And then this pure knowledge, like a voice speaking in my head, um, said they're, they're not really yours. They came to be with you for you to take care of them. They belong to the Father. Wow. And, yeah. And I thought, wow, that is very unusual. <laughs> so if our kids aren't our own, we're like the portal for them to come in. Is that was that what your understanding was of that comment yeah. from your spirit guides? Exactly. And it uh, was after I went into heaven that I learned so much more about that. Um, 
Do you want me to answer that or do you want to wait until I get there? <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. So tell us what happened. You were outside of your body and then you saw these three spirits and then tell us what happened from there. You went to see your family. Yes. And- I went to see my family and um, my husband and my children. And uh, during that time, I learned that uh, we don't, we don't own our children. In other words, we think of them as just ours, that they are actually on loan to us. And it's our responsibility to raise them up. Um, and I was able to leave them just as, as I would if I were going to run to the grocery store and, and I knew I'd be right back. Um, there was no pain in uh, feelings of loss. There wasn't anything of absence or anything. I was actually beginning to feel eager to go back to see what happens next. I really was. It's really interesting that you're saying that, Betty, because that's what I hear from spirit all the time. And I've talked to thousands of spirits and thousands of clients talking to their deceased loved ones. And every one of them says, well, is my mom suffering? Is she missing me? And I say, no, spirits don't suffer. They're in heaven. It's all pure bliss. We suffer on earth, but the the spirits don't. And what you're saying now is validating that, that you didn't feel a loss because you could see them and you could see what they were doing. Exactly. And, uh, and I felt fine. And I went back to the hospital room and to uh, be near your, my body. And uh, the body was still lying there. No one else was there. The nurses, doctors, there was nobody there. Uh, the three monks were. And they said that uh, they would see me soon. And then there was a sound that came into the room. But there it was more than that. It was... Um, sort of remind me of a, a beautiful tornado and it just sucked me into it and um, I traveled through it um, there was it, no fear there was no anxiety um, it actually took me to a place that was 100% dark black and um it was, it cocooned me and I felt love, nothing but it was like being in this black mass of love. Um, some people have said uh, that I've heard, I've said that they felt like they were in warm chocolate. And I thought that's a good way to describe it. <laughs> um, it was very comfortable. And if I hadn't moved from that spot, Julie, I could have stayed there for eternities. Now that I know what eternities are, <laughs> I could have stayed there because it's just pure love, just love. Love never felt on earth. Love never felt that I've never felt anywhere before I traveled on. Then there was this spotlight, like someone had a bright, bright flashlight, looked searching, searchlight, came into this blackness and found me. And it was like it was looking for me. And I was watching it and it was just moving around and it was like, oh, there you are. And um, the light drew me into that. And it was just white, just white, beautiful, white light, warm again. 
and uh, and maybe not warm like our skin would feel warm, but our spirit feels warm. You know, it's just this comfortable, comfortable feeling. I went into the light, traveled for some what appeared to be to me or seemed to me to be quite a distance. And um, as I'm going through the light, uh, it, 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 it broadened. And I could see at the end that there was a person standing at the end of that light. Um, I couldn't see who it was until I got closer. And then I knew who it was. And I, my spirit just, like a magnet, ran to him ran to him and I knew that that man was Jesus I knew it because I had always known him did he look like he's depicted in the images that we see in our religions and cultures you know what he looked like to me have you uh have you seen the uh oh three-dimensional look of the shroud of Quran yeah did you ever shroud of Turin Turin Yes. They, they took it and they made the features look human. You mean, yes. all, yeah. That is similar to what Jesus looked like to me. And um, I, and of course, it was years later um, that I saw that on, on, on TV, I think. And, uh, the, and I just, I was stunned. Uh, in fact, I burst out crying. I just cried. I sat there in front of my TV or my computer looking at it and I, I just cried because I missed him so much. Um, I've had people show me pictures of Christ and ask me if that isn't what they look. And, and some got mad because it didn't look like him to me. Now, maybe, you know, I, I don't know why I saw him look like that. I just really don't know. I didn't know what Jesus would look like. It's been my experience, Betty, that spirit shows up in a way that we're going to recognize who they are. So you actually told me that. Julie. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I see that all the time in the work that I do. He said, I can be whatever they expect me to be. Soon they'll come to know who I am. And uh, because I, 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 you know, yeah, I've got a lot of stories behind all of that, too, of people that have told me uh, what he looked like. And the best one, I think, the one I loved was this man. He said, Betty, he said, I, uh, uh, he, he was a Jewish man in, um, in New York. And he said, when he died, he said he didn't, he didn't believe Jesus would be there, and especially not for him. And he was frightened, and uh, he, even though he was a man and he had uh, a job that was pretty high end job, um, he 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 had this teddy bear, and he that he kept with him and loved. And so when he died, he went through the tunnel, and at the end of the tunnel, here stands his teddy bear, a big teddy bear. He said but identical to the one that he, that he kept. And he just, the teddy bear reached out and grabbed him and, and held him in his arms and just rocked and loved him. It was a feeling he said he had always wanted from his teddy bear. Of course, teddy bear don't do that, but this teddy bear did. 
And he said the teddy bear just held him and rocked him. And then he ch- the teddy bear chuckled. And he said, as soon as he chuckled, I remembered that chuckle. And I remembered that chuckle was Jesus. Now, isn't that bizarre? And he says, he, and he asked, you know, you're Jesus. And Jesus says, I can be what you need me to be. Yeah. So yeah. that that was an insight that uh, he says, well, what do you think about that? And I said, so for sure. But I, I didn't know. I didn't have any idea. The Jesuses that I had, uh, of course, seen were all white. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, some of them blue-eyed. I mean, everybody wants to relate to him. And so they will see him as they can relate to him. So I don't, I don't know why I saw him looking like that. I, I mean, I, I'm Native American. Maybe I would have put a, uh, you know, feathers on him or something, you know, anything. <laughs> I was at a funeral. You'll appreciate this. I was at a funeral. My parents were both still alive. It was my girlfriend's mother. And I flew back to Columbus, Ohio, where I'd grown up. And we were in this Catholic church waiting for the funeral mass to start. And they have this huge crucifix. And Jesus looks like he's from Scandinavia on <laughs> this crucifix. And I leaned over to both of my parents and I said, I really don't think Jesus was that much of a gringo. And they <laughs> both burst out laughing. And, you know, I think of Jesus as a Middle Eastern man. Well, he'd have to be, wouldn't he? Yeah, absolutely. From that part of the world. Absolutely. But the Europeans depicted him as a, as a fair-skinned, blonde, blue-eyed European. And, and to your point, and that's what I've, my experience has taught me too, that, that spirits, whether it be Jesus or whomever show up in a way that we're going to recognize them and identify with them. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, it just makes, it just makes sense because when you see someone on the other side, which I know you have, and I know I have, they, are clothed like they would have been clothed here on earth. And um, uh, I was with my, uh, one of my publishers uh, from Simon and Schuster. We were uh, at this hotel doing some run through with the book that I wrote. And um, uh, I got sick on pizza that we had eaten. And so I was laying on the couch, he was sitting in the chair and I had my eyes shut and uh, I opened my eyes and there was a man, an older man standing right behind him uh, by the couch. And and I, I didn't want to say anything about it, but pretty soon I had to ask because that man was wanting me to give his identity to the publisher. And so I said, do you know anybody that wore this type of an outfit, wore a hat? about this tall, you know, I described him. And he said, my dad. And uh, he says, any other identifying marks on him? And I told him, I don't remember all those, but it was his father. And he started, the, uh, the publisher started crying. And he said, I, you know, we never got along. And he says, I take that as my dad's okay. And I says, well, whatever you did, he forgives you. And I was just out of the blue. I, I mean, I don't usually do that. It was just that I wasn't feeling good. I wasn't in my right mind doing it. But, um, but uh, that, but the father was dressed in something that he would have gone 
I don't know, hiking in. It wasn't like what he was buried in or anything. So, yes, we can be, we, we will show ourselves to people so that they can see us as who we are on earth. But in spirit, you're totally different. You look different. I saw myself in spirit. And I was shocked and I was amazed. But you know what? What it did it gave me a lot of self-esteem. What did, how did you look? How was that different from, from when you were in your body and you were looking in a mirror? Well, I have never ever, and I, and again, I uh, the, the upbringing. I have, I, I was low self esteem, low self worth, and mainly because I thought I was ugly. My skin was dark. Uh, my eyes were brown. Um, I just, you know, I just didn't think I was pretty or attractive. Uh, when in heaven, and and into that beautiful garden, there was a pond and waterfalls, and. Um, I bent over and looked down at the at the water where it was smooth and I saw my reflection. And and I knew that that is what I looked like in heaven or eternities maybe. Who knows? I don't know. But I I was shocked. I moved around, of course, because I wanted to make sure it was me actually in that, you know, not something else. I mean, I investigate and um, and it was me. And so she, what did you look like? Well, uh, glowing, just glowing. Glowing, very glowing. And uh, and I actually had almost like reddish hair, um, but it could have been the energy that was around me. Uh, so, because you see things so different uh, through uh, spirit eyes. And uh, I had on this uh, um, uh, beautiful gown. Uh, it was, um, oh, it's a color of, uh, it was, it, it was just a beautiful color. It was, um, oh, it's not coming to me, but. It was very beautiful and it had sleeves that kind of came down off the shoulder, which by the way, I would never have thought I'd wear something like that because it was too revealing, right? <laughs> so it's me looking at myself going, holy cow. Now I'm in, I'm, I, am I in heaven? I must not be because look at my shoulders. I can see them, you know. You couldn't wear anything off the shoulder or whatever. And that's how this was. It was pretty nice. It was up high enough, but I mean, you know, you had to be careful. Um, so, yeah, it's just, uh, it's just amazing. And why they allowed me to see that or why I was shown like that, I think, was to in, in, improve my self-worth, feelings of self-worth. That, yes, I, I um, all right, I might not look the way I'd like to look here, but I know what I look when I looked like when I'm there and it was it's a resemblance I resembled myself in some ways but no it was much but it was more the aura I had this magnificent aura about me and I um so that's what that's what made me feel beautiful I think is is all of that so you so you're in this garden tell us about the garden I love your stories about the garden and 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 how it looked and how you interacted with the water in the 
flowers and all of that? Um, well, with Jesus and how I got to the garden and everything was that, um, first place I told him I'm not going back. He said, you died prematurely. And I says, well, uh, no, I didn't. I says, uh, I, you know, I, I'm not going back to earth. And, um, and he just kind of chuckled. Very, very humorous man. Very humorous. And, and I think what, what, what creates the humor is that he, he knows us inside and out. And he knows that my stubbornness and determination. And he, and he, 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 he just, you know, and, and that made him happy. He even said that I was precious. Um, because he was probably catching my thoughts in that I'm thinking, oh, Betty, you don't talk to him like this. But I knew him so well, I felt I could. You know, he's in, in, in embrace. I said he was like a, uh, like a brother. And that's what he felt, like, a brother, a God, a savior. I mean, just everything that you can think of, he felt like that to me. And, um, and he was wonderful. And he, he just said that there was so much that he wanted me to experience and to see. And he called these two uh, women. I call them guides because I didn't know what else. Uh, they were, they guided me around. I didn't know. uh not the kind of guides that they speak about, you know, with the new age movement or anything that wasn't, you know, this, this was back in 73. I'd never heard anything about that at that time. I call them guides because they guided me. And uh, he told them, he says, take her and show her everything she wants to see and everything she needs to see. And they said, yes. And they took me, uh, uh, they took me to the garden. And they said, um, enjoy yourself. And they left me there. And I was glad that they did because I could wander around. But it was like it was like walking out of a beautiful, massive building. Uh, talk about streets of gold and and, um, and every conceivable um, stone, a precious stone that you can imagine. It was just so beautiful. And then walking out to acres and acres and acres of beauty. And that's what it looked like to me. And, um, and I walked on the grass and uh, being a, more of a country girl and, and, um, and, and always barefooted. Um, I was barefoot then. And I thought I always liked the grass to tickle the back of my calves, not just grass that is finely mowed or anything, but I want it higher. I want it to, fill. and the grass just grew up. It was just that everything I loved about it, it wanted to please me and it became. So your thought of, I wish the grass was longer and then the grass obliged and got longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and, and as I walked on it, it would, um, you see that movie Avatar? When I saw it, I think I, 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 I had to buy the CD and watch it over and over and over again because it, it, it reminded me of being in heaven, you know, when they're out there and they're walking and you see the sparks of energy and light. And, and as you love something, it's loving you back by its energy. Uh, I saw the um, 
a waterfall coming down off the mountain, a long waterfall, very beautiful. And, and drops of water were just spraying here and there. And, um, and I remember saying, oh, that is how we sing praises in heaven. Because in church, they said that we're going to sing. Uh, we go there so we can be with God and sing praises to him all the time. And I thought, what an egotistical man that that would be to sit there and just have everybody singing hallelujahs. That'd be boring. And then on top of that, I didn't really know all those songs. And so I figured that left me out too. I wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't be able to see, sing all these, I am a sinner and you are a God and, and praise be to you. I wouldn't be able to sing it. It wouldn't come from my heart because it wasn't what I was feeling, to be honest with you. And I, I don't say this in a blaspheming way because I want everyone to know I love him. I love him with all my heart. It's just that we have been taught here, um, misused here, actually. Not as an Indian I'm talking. I'm talking about our world in general. Um, mankind has used God to create fear and low self-esteem, low self-worth, all the lows that I went through for control. And that is why Jesus came to earth when he was born to earth and went through the crucifixion and whatnot. He came to set people free, free. And this is why they call it the gospel, because the gospel is the truth. It's the, um, let's set things straight. And when you read the Bible with that mindset, it takes on a whole new look when you read the New Testament. Jesus, how many, and how many words did he have to tell people that I'm here? I'm the good shepherd. I came. I will not lose not one of you. I will leave the 99. I will go seek the one that's lost. In every way he tried to explain that we are all going to be returned to him. He was sent here by the Father to bring back to the fold all the sheep, all the, all that uh, the father created. And um, so to me, it was all just, I, I don't know. It makes me actually makes me angry because I was on the bitter end of that. So I know what that feels like. I still see that suffering out there and it, and it's upsetting to me. It's like, uh, God isn't like that. He's not like that at all. <laughs> Wait till you meet him. You're going to be embarrassed and ashamed. So what's your thought about hell, hell in quotes, that we've all been talking about? You either fly to heaven or you fry in hell for eternity. And if you're Catholic, you may spend some time in purgatory for a while, roasting until you can get purified to go to heaven, right? But what's, all what's while, your... All yeah, the yeah. fathers put their hand out and take your money. And, you, and babies who haven't been baptized go to limbo. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So what's your, what's your, what are your thoughts on that, on that whole concept? That part of the fear? And that, uh, that's all part of the fear. It really truly is. It's a misuse of the, of, of, of something that is so beautiful. So, and, and this is why I'm happy 
that many people are coming forth with their experiences. Um, and I'm, I, I, I thank God for having given me uh, a glimpse of heaven so that I could come back and raise my children, enlighten them. And, um, and I just can't tell you how, how thankful I am. And, you know, this November will be 50 years, 50 years since I had the experience. Have you ever heard of Cozy Earth Bedding? It's your ultimate luxury escape. Cozy Earth sheets are temperature regulating and incredibly soft, and they even have a 10-year warranty. They're made from organic bamboo and silk, are hypoallergenic, and even antimicrobial. Cozy Earth sheets are so amazing, they've been on Oprah's favorite things list for five years in a row, and I have them on my bed right now. So if you're ready to elevate your sleep, Cozy Earth has a special offer for just for my listeners. Go to CozyEarth.com and use the code AskJulie for a 35% discount. That's C-O-Z-Y-Earth.com and use code AskJulie for a 35% discount. Upgrade your sleep with Cozy Earth bedding. I love them and so will you. I, yeah, I know. And I think 50 years have I done everything that I need to do um, with the experience because I was sent back to share it. So you'd had seven children by the time you were five, if it was 50 years ago? I am 81. Honey, whatever you're doing, you need to bottle it. You look amazing. You look fabulous. I'll be 82 in March. Um, You know, I think what it is, it's when your heart is glad, when you really, truly love God. And when you learn to love other people, you don't hold grudges. um, You forgive. All of that is internalized, and it's healing. Healing to you, it's healing to them. I mean, why live in this life if you walk around sad and sorrowful all the time? Oh, there's time for that, too. But you don't have to dredge yourself in it. And each time, you know, you want to go into self-pity. And I was shown that when we get into that me, 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 self-pity mode, our, our spirit, our energy field, our, you know, aura, whatever you want to call it. I call it energy field because uh, it is it is energy and it's powerful. So when you get in self-pity mode, all that energy is suppressed. And so therefore, the using the word that that person is suppressed is a perfect word. But it's all on them. They are doing it to themselves. They just bring it in, all the self-pity, all the, uh, you know, everything negative, just holding on to it. But when you stop thinking about yourself and when you start thinking about other people, um, even when I don't feel good, if I go to the grocery store and I get out of the car and I see someone limping into the store, I, I'm in automatic mode now because it's been 50 years since I had the experience. But I'll look over to them knowing that my energy can stretch out and do something good to that person. And I, and this is part of what prayer is all about. And so I get myself in that mode and I just extend my energy. You don't even have to do it physically. You do it mentally. You just sense and feel your energy going over to that person and helping them. Maybe through the pain. We can't cure anything. Only God can do that. 
but uh, at his will, we can help in that. But if it's not his will, maybe that person needs to have that limp to serve his purpose. And uh, But you can aid in how he feels about what he's experiencing. And I just do that. And um, so make use of your energy and do something good about it. Even when you walk into the room and it's cranky room, people are arguing or whatever, you know what, just spread it about. You know, and this is why Jesus was noted for, um, uh, you know, as soon as he walked into a space, it became better because of him. And he says to everybody, this is even written in a Bible, but I like to speak from my experience with him. Be a light onto others. Be a light onto them. I walk in and turn off all the lights instead. You walk in, you take a ray of sunshine in with you. And that improves their life. It improves your body, your physical self. And um, and I think that that's why I stay young looking. I mean, I don't know. Um, maybe it's inherited. You know, I don't know. I, my doctor says, what's making you different, Betty? And I just so wanted to say the Heavenly Father. Because I believe in God. I believe in love. I believe in forgiving. I believe in all this. And it will, it magnifies who you are. And it actually changes, makes some changes in your flesh. Not all. I'm getting older. I can sense and feel it. I can see it. But my spirit, we are the spirit that is eternal and has always been and will always be. And um, and I noticed that in that gar- beautiful garden, and I was taken on, on in flight with what appeared to be I call them warring angels because they were garbed like we visualize warring warring angels to be. I had never known about warring angels, so they were not a part of my history. But two of them came, and they took me to see the other worlds. And I went out and with them, and I visited one of the worlds. And and Julie, I don't mention this often, but I'm going to mention it here. Um, in this world where uh, they took me, um, when we gathered with the people who were there, and I can't tell you what they looked like because all of that was taken from my memory. But they were they seemed normal to me. But then as you are out of, in, or in spirit, out of body, things do, you're going to remember what you've always known. And so I, I can't say what they look like, but I do know that they asked me for my report. And I don't know what I reported. I hope it was good. I worry about it. I, who, me? Um Reporting to these people, report what? And all of that was taken from my memory. And I only bring that up to say this. We're here on earth. We have an an idea. Not an idea at all. Not can't even imagine what place you were in heaven. I knew, number one, that at some point I used to be a guardian angel, a warring angel. I knew that because these men told me 
and I was allowed to remember that. But who am I to give a report to another world? That I don't know. Now you asked me about hell when I was with Jesus and he told me I had to come back. <laughs> I told him he was there and he had, he had there, there's councils. He had a council of men there. Um, I don't know if they were his disciples that were with him here or not. I don't know. But there were other people there, but they were all men. Now, I grew up loving Helen Reddy, and I knew her songs, right? I am woman, hear me roar. Exactly. Yep. (laughs) That is the attitude I died with. Um, And so when I saw that Jesus had this council of men, I said, no women? I mean, you know, I was, I still had that part of me. There was, I wasn't totally disconnected in other words but it didn't bother me that they were all men for some reason and uh, so when Jesus told me I I had to come back I said I'm not going back and one of the men in the council says well Betty you've died prematurely and I said you know what I'm not going back and none of you are going to make me I said that in heaven I'm still shocked that I said that. I have always been someone that, I don't know, speaks their mind. I like to be transparent. And you know, the people in heaven are transparent. And so I was glad to see that. No one hides anything from anyone. They don't have to. And I love that because I, I, I just grew up wanting to live my life transparent. I wanted people to know what I felt. They didn't have to believe it. They had their own understanding and perception on life. But I wanted them to know how I was, and I didn't hide anything. So in heaven, there I am, saying to Jesus and the council, and none of you are going to make me. And Jesus chuckled, and he said, well, you have one more visit, but this time with the Father. Somehow, and I don't know how, I was transported. But I came into the garden, and I knew who he was. And he was sitting in the garden, and I ran over, and I just fell at his feet with my head on his lap. And he said, you have a purpose. You have to go back and fulfill it. And I said, I don't know what that is. What can I possibly do? He said, you'll remember what you promised. But he says, you can't take it back to earth with you. I said, okay. And then I said, that's it. Just that short little bit was I allowed to remember. Back with Jesus. He said, well, I said, I'm going back. I said, but how on earth am I going to go back and tell everyone what I experienced? I said, and what about hell? Because again, I'm curious about why I didn't go there. And he says, he said, Betty, if you as a loving mother, which you are, wouldn't cast one of your children into a fiery pit or into outer darkness, he said, how much greater is God's love than yours? 
And, you know, Julie, that stunned me. It really did. I remember just feeling it all the way through, like his words just went through, just hit me. The truth, the simple truth in that. And I thought, why are, why are we taught that? He said, greed and power. And I says, it's nothing. It's three o'clock. People are hurting. And I don't want people to hurt. And he said, tell them. And he says, tell them this. Above all else, love one another. And everything else will be fine. And that's why I ended Embrace by Light, the last words that he said. Above all else, love one another. Now I'm in the middle of writing the screenplay, the script for the movie. I wanted to end that way. But when you're dealing with Hollywood, who knows what they're going to allow. Well, the interesting thing about that, and you brought up Avatar, and and I, there are many films and TV shows. I think Bewitched is a really good example of, I always say, so one of the screenwriters knew how to do woo-woo because yeah. they were doing, you know, she would wiggle her nose or she would call her mother or Dr. Bombay or Uncle Arthur and they would immediately come in or she'd snap her fingers and she'd be in another place. Well, that's remote viewing, same kind of thing. And Avatar that that you were talked about in the garden, how everything sparkles and it moves and it and you think of something and it responds. I wonder if somebody who was a screenwriter on that movie or perhaps James Cameron himself has experienced a near-death experience. You know, I think so. And did you watch the um, Matrix? Yes. I was shown the world and how we have a matrix around it. And it's a matrix of energy. And when we pray, I was shown how prayers go out to heaven. When we pray, it goes into the matrix. This is why we can pray for someone that's way in the heck and gone across the other way. And that energy just goes right to them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, everything's energy. The other movie that I really like that that really resonates with me too, Betty, is Contact with Jodie Foster. Have you ever seen that? Yes. Yeah. Did you notice how I perceive heaven? Because I work with people all the time. How I perceive it is is in the movie. She touches something. It almost looks like it's plasma. Did you experience that when you were there, like the atmosphere that you touched it and it kind of kind of moves a little bit? It has has a plasma like that's how it's portrayed to me when yeah. I'm working with somebody. Did you notice that when you were there? Notice that. And Jody and I did have a long talk about that. You did. Oh yes. And she was interested in helping me bring Embrace by the Light uh to film. So I shared all of that and, and some other things in her film. Uh, we didn't move forward with Embrace. I think it was around that time that there was a, a family that was killed in a plane wreck or something. So she had to move on to that as she was going through grieving. Um, so when her movie came out, I had to see what she did to it. And yes, I could, I could sit in her movie and say, Embraced 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 by the yeah light. yeah yeah i use it i use it to teach with in my classes oh yeah when i'm teaching people about this and then the other thing that that 
alien shows up in a way that she'd recognize him and not be afraid of him. Yeah. In the movie too, which is so interesting. (laughs) Back to the hell thing too. I think it's interesting that there are millions of near-death experience accounts of people telling their stories. You never hear about, well, I went to a fiery pit, burned for a few minutes. I mean, everything's love and light and and all of that. Usually they have to, when we die, we take with us our belief system. And if you die and you believe it, think Howard Storm writes something about that in his book. He believed that he, he believed in hell. And so you'll go to what you believe until you think different. Jesus said that, you know, our belief systems are so strong and imagination is the key to reality. And I wrote that, that if you can imagine it, you can make it real. Because God created us, we are co-creators with God. Co-creators. And, but you see, it goes both ways. You can think negatively or you can think very positive, one way or the other. And how many negative things are created from mankind, a lot, a ton, especially since, well, look at the COVID. Look at the aftermath of COVID. There's more murders. There's more uh, children committing suicide. And I was shown that that would happen. That kids, I wrote about this in my book, The Ripple Effect, that in this day and age, that kids would be committed suicide. And in, 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 in great numbers. And they're doing that because of the lack of love. And uh, everybody reaches for love and tries and will find it in one thing or the other. Look at the drugs. That's their love. That's what they, how they escape. And um, we need to turn the world around. We need to make a difference. We need to, uh, in our children's lives and We can only do that if we make a difference in our own life and be an example for them. Uh, A child by the age of three has already developed. This is, I'm I'm just talking about what I learned in Evan now. Um, By the age of three, they have already developed a conscience or they have not. You know, if you met some children, they haven't a conscience at all or some people. They develop it at that age. The mother actually teaches them to have a conscience or not. And so some of these spoiled kids, I see a lot of them on train. They don't have to have a conscience because parents let them do whatever they want to do. By the time they're three, they have already had their conscience. I think I saw an article that says by the time a child is in kindergarten, they are who they are. I mean, they have, that's it. I mean, the kids learn that fast. And, um, and they're going to be whatever, they're, whatever they have been taught in that time frame. And I believe that because at the age of three, conscience or no conscience. Speaking of little children, I've got a couple of questions and, and, and an interesting connection. 
to you. First of all, why were you sent to boarding school at the, what, at the age of four or something? Really little. Um, Back in, in the day, and this would be in the early 40s, I was four years old. Well, I was born in, in 1942. Uh, so this goes beyond that. I'm third generation boarding school, Indian boarding school. I'm the third generation third or fourth generation, I think. So my grand, my great-grandmother that I know of, I'm just the three that I know of, my great-grandmother was in a boarding school. They took the Indians off the reservation, stuck them in these schools to teach them how to love God. This was Catholicism. Right. Um, in my area, could be another faith in some other area, in my area, in the South Dakota and Nebraska, uh, so they were, uh, it was by law. They had to be put in boarding schools. Taken out of the home and put in boarding schools. Yes. Wow. Wow. At the age of four, I was taken out of the home and put in boarding school. Now, generally, most of those children I grew up around, in fact, there's not one that I know of that I kept track of, of the Indian children I went to school with. That's alive today. And you were on the Rosebud Indian Reservation for school, is that right? Right. Well, here's an interesting connection, girl. My first job out of college, I sold hospital supplies in South Dakota. Oh, really? And one of my hospitals was on the Rosebud Indian Reservation. Wow. In the early 80s. This is 81, 82. (laughs) And I covered the southeastern quarter of the state. But at that point... And it's like a back then it was probably a less than a 40 bed hospital. And I was told by my customers, do not come on the reservation by yourself. It's not safe. You are a young, white, blonde female. Yeah. It's just not safe for you to do that. So I would go with a colleague from another division who carried a pistol with him when we were on the reservation. And Betty, I used to stay in the Warrior Inn in Winter, South Dakota. Oh, no. And it was $14 a night. And the room did not have a lock on the door. It had a hook and eye on the door. I asked... I asked the front desk clerk one time, well, I mean, and that was like the only place to stay that was, I think it was 15 miles from the reservation or something. And it was the only place to stay. And I asked the front desk clerk one time, I said, why don't you have locks on the door? And she said, well, they just get broken into anyway. So it's just, it's just easier for just to have us just to have a hook and eye. And I thought, oh, for heaven's sakes. So I, have experienced that. I'm I'm hoping it's better now. But the people were so wonderful. Everybody that I met was so wonderful. And they wanted to take me to lunch and they wanted to do all this other stuff. And every one of them said, do not under any circumstances, even if it's in the middle of the day, come on, you know, come in here by yourself. So that alone for you to grow up in that atmosphere in these schools, I I was thinking, oh my heavens, I can't <laughs> well, even imagine the fear. Were these white people that were telling you that? Both. One, I had one gal who was a purchasing agent. Her name was Edith, and she was full blooded Sue. And she said, "Honey, 
you and I always had lunch with her when I was there visiting the hospital and she said, honey, you do not come on here by yourself. Yeah, I think and this is kind of funny, having been on the reservation, having lived on the reservation. Um, first place, they don't like white people. And rightfully so, have they been treated? Often they scare them away by this story stuff. Now, usually the broken doors and whatnot are a lot of them drink. But um, the uh, native people, I mean, I've lived, I've lived with them. I know how they are. They don't, they're, they're not, they're just, they're just, believe it or not, I'm going to say something funny, but they're not like white people. Yeah. And they probably wouldn't have bothered you. But right. if they wanted to get in that room, someone, you know, maybe they forgot the key. Yeah. Would they break it down when they're drunk? Yeah, probably. Uh, but not all of them are drunkards. I mean, they are dead. No. Yeah. Obviously. So it's so, but, but it is kind of funny that, because, uh, uh, and they're hilarious. I mean, they like to joke. They like to threaten. They like to tease. Um, they are, um, but, and, and I, I've just never really, have seen them torment anyone. Well, I, and I bet you've never had a, a white girl with blonde hair say to you, I've been on the Rosebud Indian Reservation. And survived. <laughs> several times. <laughs> I don't know. Or, or even had been there. So, yeah, yeah I, I thought, oh, I got to tell you that story. Couple, couple of things. First of all, that council that you talked about with men, right. when I see in my mind's eye, Spirit guides, they all appear as men to me. They all appear as a version of Father Time, so I know who they are. And then when we communicate with them, they morph into what they looked like in the life that they lived. To your point earlier, they they're in period dress. They right. look, you know, they look a certain way. There's that. When you talked about going through a tunnel, in my book, Angelic Attendance. What I see is the 12 phases of transition when somebody's dying. And when the spirit separates from the body, it goes through a tunnel like a tornado, like you talked about. And and there's that. The other thing is that what I hear over and over again is there are thousands and thousands of spirits that are there to welcome. And I see it in my mind's eye when I'm scanning somebody, thousands and thousands of spirits there to welcome the person I call it the welcome to heaven committee and they're dressed in period dress. Did you see spirits like lots of spirits that you felt like you knew them from before? You know, I didn't see them like that when I was in heaven, they had gowns on, they, they, they wrote, you know, the beautiful things. So they weren't in period uh, clothing. Although I have, uh, I was awakened one night um, by something rattling around and so i woke up i sat up in bed and i'm home alone um so i'm you know kind of curious about who's in my room and um and i was fully awake i and i i believe me i test that i i don't trust anything when you're hallucinating or whatever i i gotta make sure so i was i made sure i was awake because i i saw something and I thought, okay, are you dreaming or are you awake? And I tested myself. I was wide awake. Well, coming from the end of the room, and the my the 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 house I moved from, the bedroom suite was huge. 
almost as big as the house I'm in now. <laughs> so, um, so they they had plenty of room, and they come in, and they were in period clothing, and they just my bed, king size bed, and they just kind of walked all the way around, and uh, several uh, people deep all surrounding me. But I noticed each one had something different on. And they were of different nationality. And um, the one stepped forward and said, we brought you a gift. And I says, oh, because I wanted to know what, you know, who are you guys? Why are you here? And they said, we brought you a gift. Well, I reached out to get this gift. It was like in a beautiful wrap box. But as I touched it, it disappeared. And... Um, and then they started, they were saying goodbye and they were waving and whatever. And then as they left, they let me know that these are my ancestors. And they were all different. They were everything. And they were my ancestors. And I thought they brought me a gift. Well, of course they brought me a gift. I am gifted with all of their attributes because I learned while I was in heaven that we are the sum total of our DNA that we have drawn from our ancestors. And um, not only do we have their, the, the physical makeup of them, but we also have memories. We have their memories. And so if, you, if you're frightened of this or frightened of that, it might not even be from your own thought or mind. It might be from one of your ancestors. Or if you have a skill, you might, you have brought that skill forward uh, in you. But it is not like they, uh, uh, they explained to me, Jesus actually did. We don't have, we have it wrong. Um, reincarnation, the idea of reincarnation, we have it wrong here. Some people might come back as teachers, you know, and say, okay, you need to go down. Like Jesus did, he came as a teacher. Uh, some might come as a teacher, but not each one of us are going to come back to this earth. We're going to go to the other worlds that God created. And it's like going away to school, where what you have developed, uh, at what point you have developed here on earth, you're going to take that with you. Either and you can enter into that other world as a teacher. You could enter into that other world as a student. You could uh, have a whole bunch of things that you need to learn. Maybe um, whatever you've done here that wasn't right, you might have to go there and suffer what you've done before. In other words, you're going to have to live through what you have created couple of correlations there. First of all, on the Welcome to Heaven Committee, when those spirits are in the room as somebody's dying and they're in the transition phase, they're in period dress. When they get to heaven, they're in gowns. I see them in white gowns, white, like sparkly, like white gowns. That's how I perceive it, number one. Number two, the interesting thing about going to other worlds, just on Saturday, One of the graduates of my class, we get together once a month. Her name's Rose. She was talking about that she believes, and she's been told by several mediums that she's not going to reincarnate. She's going to go to a different world. 
And we had a big discussion about that. And I got, I I kept hearing in my head, yes, yes, that that's true. That, that what I was getting validation that that was true. And it's interesting to me that less than 72 hours later, we're talking about this. So (laughs) Rose will watch this and she'll, she'll get a kick out of this. The other thing is when you talk about traveling, you talk about that it's just almost like warp speed when you were traveling in in between like the garden and other places. And it and I'm wondering if that correlates with back to contact in the movie going through a wormhole at warp speed and the time doesn't exist in the spirit world like we understand it. First of all, explain how it felt to travel like that. And secondly, how long do you think you were gone before you came back into your body? Well, real time, um, when I looked at the clock just before I died, it was around 9.30. I returned around 2 o'clock, 2 a.m. Um, so that that is what I was consciously aware of. But the way I thought when I came back, it seemed to me that I had been gone for weeks weeks the time there just there was so much that I learned so much I mean I saw computers and and this is what I told Jody and and the computers had liquid screens um and this was in 1973 they were just developing computers basically we had those funky machines but they were not like the computers we have today so everything that I saw there, and there was so much more that I, they took me to a room that was, uh, they called it the computer room. And I went in and uh, they showed me the magnificent computers. I mean, who would have known that we'd have this little cell phone that we run around and we talk on, but they, they had it there. They had all of that there. And they said that um, how it gets to earth is, People here who have grown in certain details or certain ways to be able to receive, if they're open to receive, they will get that knowledge and they can build it here. But that everything that we have here on earth was first created in spirit there before we got the, we received the knowledge. And so when I came back, well, my husband was a systems analyst for a Boeing company here in Seattle, and he worked on computers. He was one of the first people, I think, that, uh, well, the only person I knew that was working on computers back in the uh, late 60s, I think, when they first started developing. So he he had quite a mind uh, for the computers, and I shared this knowledge with him. And he said, I, I can see that that's going to be a possibility. Don't know how it's going to happen. Uh, well, here comes Bill Gates, you know, with all the knowledge, uh, the, the software knowledge. And so, and that goes for everything that we have here on this earth, everything. And, uh, but the loving thing that I, that I learned while I was there is that before any of us came here to earth, before the world was created, um, when God, the Heavenly Father, was ready to prepare things, 
he, he, he so loved all of us. And he said, I want all of you in as part of the creation. And so we have to fill the, the land with, with animals and, and everything. And so everybody goes to the drawing board, I'm going to call it, um, and started creating. And I always liked ladybugs. And I thought, okay, why do I like ladybugs? Why do I like uh, dragonflies? I'm mean, obsessed with them. In fact, I think I've got a dragonfly earring on. Um, just obsessed with them. And I thought, I think I was, you know, I, that was part of what I worked on or helped work on. So, but that's how loving that that world is. And we just take all this knowledge now and we're going to take it into another world and we're going to help those who need to learn that haven't uh, what graduated and, uh, and to help them. But uh, what, why I came back was, uh, part, as Jesus explained to me, bring them into remembrance because there's nothing, nothing that I have said to you today, nothing that anyone is coming back with from near-death experiences that is telling us anything new. It's what we've already known, but we've forgotten. He says, bring them into remembrance. And I thought, okay. And uh, so when I wrote Embrace, which was magically in a way given to me to write, um, it was challenging back in 1992 to go out as an author of a near-death experience. Um, I happened to have, uh, you know, to, to meet some fabulous people out there. Um, the one that wrote uh, On Death and Dying, what's her name? Um, Kubler-Ross. Yes. Yeah. Elizabeth and I became very good friends and uh, had some wonderful conversations with her about the, about the same thing. Now, she taught on death and dying, the physical end. She didn't have the spiritual end down. And, um, but we, we had some wonderful talks. But back then, the people were not ready. Broadcasters, I would never have been able Oprah, oh yeah, she wasn't. I was on her show three times, but I'll tell you, she was not a believer at first. She was very skeptical. All of them were. And, um, and I took a lot of ridicule. But the amazing part, Julie, was it didn't affect me at all. Betty, how do you know that you, how does one know that they're being led? When how did you know? How do, how do other people, if you were going to say, here's how you know that you're being led to do something, even if it doesn't make sense to you. Sometimes it's physical. Uh, I was laying in bed um, with my husband. He, the alarm went off and, and, uh, but, uh, and he was up six o'clock in the morning. He was up uh, getting ready to go into work. I'm laying there in bed and I went to open my eyes and I heard a voice in my head say, shut your eyes. And so I closed them. And as I closed my eyes, and this is why I brought up matrix before, because the matrix, the screen starts off and you've got these words going down, flowing down. 
I closed my eyes and the words were going across from left to right. But I could read those words at the, the speed in which they were moving. I could still read and understand what was being written. And um, my husband tried to wake me up. He says, I'm, I'm laying here and I guess I, my eyes are just going crazy. And he thought I was having some kind of a nervous breakdown. <laughs> and so after I got up, I told him, I says, if you ever see me in bed like that, don't just get up and go. I said, and I told him what was happening. And uh, now he, by now he's getting used to the, my peculiarities because <laughs> I came back. I was so psychic, Julie. It was crazy. It was driving me nuts. I had to pray for some of it to go away. Uh, some I'd be talking to someone and I'd already know what they were going to say. And I'd, I would know if it was true or false. And that's a bad place to be. And, uh, and even worse, when you uh, go run across and shake someone's hand and you know they're going to be gone in a day or two. Um, uh, you just can't, a human being just can't live with that knowledge. And so how does somebody know that they're being led to do something? I think it comes to people in different ways. I really, truly do. I, um, I will often, I can only speak for myself and maybe from what some other people have told me, but I basically hear it in my head mm -hmm. and, and, or, uh, wake up and, and hear it in my, from my ears, someone whispering and telling me something. Um, the psychic knowledge usually comes with just a, a knowing. You know, you just know. It's a pure knowledge is what I, I think it's called. And you just know. And and a person that has that, which obviously you have that, it's, it's a responsibility. It's a real responsibility. And you have to weed through it all. Um as to whether or not you want to share it or can or should, because we are not to interfere with another person's walk on this earth. Um, like that saying goes, if you're not the problem, you're not the cure. But when you are in your position and the position I've been in, and I mean, I learned so much about the power of the mind after I came back, I went on to school and became a clinical hypnotherapist. And I had a clinic for about four years. And I learned the power of the mind is just absolutely incredible. Uh, we hold on to people come in and say, well, don't you want to talk about what I'm going through? And I says, no, I don't, because you're going to tell me anything that you want. And we're going to go right on in and we are going to Go to your spirit because the spirit governs the mind, the body governs it. No matter what you can say, whatever you want, the mind analyzes and rationalizes everything. Right. Yeah. The right. body gets trapped trying to react. Well, I could talk to you for another five hours. I'm going to have to have you back because I got more pages of questions for you. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to spend with us and and share what your experiences are. One thing I want to mention 
during this taping, and we'll see if it shows up on the video. At one point, about 10 minutes in, I said to Betty, I said, is there somebody sitting to your left? And she said, no, I'm the only one here. I could see a figure coming into the frame. And I'm going to see if my producer, Chris, can if, if it's captured on film. And if it is, we'll put it here at the end. But we stopped the taping and we and I said, is there somebody sitting next to you? I mean, can you ask them to go into a different room? And she said, no, I can't see anybody. But boy, I sure was so. I believe that was one of your spirit guides that was here to to be involved in the conversation. And that was that was just an extra bonus. So everybody sending you lots of love from Sweet Home, Alabama and from Seattle too, where Betty is. Betty, we're going to put all your information in the show notes. Tell everybody real quickly how they can get in touch with you and find out more about you. Yeah. Well, you can always go to my website. It's uh, embracedbylight.com. Um, if they're interested in the process of the movie, it's embracedbylightmovie.com. And um, I also belong to uh, the clubhouse. Uh, I On Sundays, I go there and talk about the attributes of God and some of the things that we need to learn. And uh, you look for Embracing Life with Betty J. Eady. All right. We'll find you there. Thanks so much. Bye, everybody. See you next time. Thank you, Julie. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to follow Julie on Instagram and YouTube at Ask Julie Ryan. And like her on Facebook at Ask Julie Ryan. To schedule an appointment or submit a question, please visit AskJulieRyan.com. This show is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be medical, psychological, financial, or legal advice. Please contact a licensed professional. The Ask Julie Ryan Show, Julie Ryan and all parties involved in producing, recording, and distributing it assume no responsibility for listeners' actions based on any information heard on this or any Ask Julie Ryan shows or podcasts.